Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware deals. That's alienware.com slash deals. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. You can find corruption and conspiracy in the oddest places. Longtime listeners, you're well aware of this. Uh, and today we are traveling up to the land of our lovely northern neighbors. We are traveling to Canada through the power, the mind, right? The theater of imagination. And in this episode, we're exploring a bizarre international well, you could call it a conspiracy. You could call it an industry. Uh, some people, rightly or wrongly, are convinced it is a scam or even racketeering. And uh, this is a story that may well travel all the way up to your own breakfast table. No kidding. Before we do the big reveal and get into this, I have one very important question for you, Noel, and for you, Matt, and for everyone listening along at home. Waffles or pancakes, if you had to choose one? 
Ooh, you know, I like a waffle because of the little divots. They just hold the syrup so nicely. They're like little syrup cups. You know, I would have said waffle, but the other day I had pecan pancakes or pecan pancakes, if you're nasty, and they were incredible. <laughs> and I used this very bottle of 100% allegedly maple syrup, and it was delicious. Ah, well, yes. you were just showing the side, Matt. I, I didn't see the front. I, we, we well, say I didn't want to show you the actual we company. Can, we, we can blur it. It's we from. can blur it in post. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it checks out. You can see. You can see the the name here. The yeah. I myself am a waffle person because of the surface area conundrum that you mentioned earlier. No, or it's a feature, not a bug. Uh, <laughs> also because of the ingredients. But the crux of today's story fellow conspiracy realist, is maple syrup. Yes, you are listening to a show about critical thinking applied to conspiracy theories, and yes, this episode is about maple syrup. Trust us, worth it. Promise. Yeah. Uh, so here are the facts. If you're like most people, you've heard of maple syrup, right? You've heard of it. It's not, it's not new to your human experience. It's made from this substance called xylem sap, and it comes primarily from three types of trees that are all maples. Uh, the the big the big dog in the game is sugar maple, but you'll also see people uh, ultimately creating maple syrup from red and black maple trees. It's not a new idea. Like a lot of things on this continent, indigenous people had learned the trick of of this. Thousands and thousands of years ago, they already knew how to take this slightly sweet sap and turn it into syrup. And the process that these earlier people discovered or created continues today. It's a really neat marriage of art and science. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't think about. Like when, if you live in many parts of the U.S., uh, you may not even find real maple syrup that often. You may go for the much more affordable table syrup, uh, which is not not the legit maple syrup. But if you're, you're in certain regions of this continent, particularly the eastern northeastern seaboard, right, Canada uh, and New England, then it would be tremendously insulting to serve table syrup to your loved ones or your friends. They would think, oh, okay, Mr. Cheap Stuff over here has decided that we are acquaintances and not. Putting, yeah. Yeah. And, and like it, it can seriously be seen as an insult. And that's because they are very different things. The, I, I think to set this up, we need to talk a little bit about the process of creating this stuff uh, because so much work goes into it. And when you understand how much work goes into it, you can understand uh, a little bit of why maple syrup is such a big deal to some people. Okay, so let's talk about sap. That's what we're going to talk about because uh, you need a lot of it to make maple syrup. Uh, the sap is almost like uh, water uh, in terms of the makeup of the product. Uh, it is an incredibly thin um, substance that contains about 2% sucrose, so it makes it sweet, and about 30 to 40 gallons of sap is what it takes to make just a single gallon of maple syrup. Um, and while, of course, the sap is the key ingredient in the process, 
Um, it also uh, requires another key ingredient, which is time. Um, you have to have, you know, you can't grow a tree overnight. A tree needs to be healthy and it needs to be at least around 10 inches in diameter before it can be tapped. Um, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, you you know stick a device into the tree that then sucks out the sap, or at least allows you to drain the tree of that sap. Um, and it typically takes a tree around forty years to reach that kind of size. Yeah, and it's pretty amazing. The process really is amazing if you watch some videos online about it and seeing, especially if it's a larger operation with a lot of maple trees that have been tapped, and just watch looking at the lines of of sap that just, you know, slowly drain from the tree into a collection area. It's it's pretty cool. It's fascinating because you could tap a younger or smaller tree, but it would have it, it, it would have um tough effects on the health of the tree, which is super important. That's why we say it takes about 40 years because you're waiting for it to reach that size. And for a large tree, if it's large enough, you could have multiple taps on the tree. There's a lot of really cool terminology here that I've just sort of unapologetically peppered through because it's it's a lot to take in all at once. But think of it this way. So the people who tap these trees, they are called sugar makers, which I think is uh, tremendously sweet on several levels. And they they're part of where the art and the science really meet. To do this successfully, they need to have a very deep understanding of each tree. Like they tend to know its history. They know if it had any like problems with bugs or some kind of, you know, um, rot got to it. And they take immense, immense pains not to do any lasting harm because if everything goes well, these trees can be tapped again and again, multiple times over a long period of time, like a century or more. And and Matt, I'd love to uh, hear a little more about that sap collection process because it, uh, it changed over time, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, before the invention of, I guess, modern plastics and, uh, you know, just some innovation, the way you would tap an old maple back in the day is you would have you would do the thing you have to get a hole into the tree itself but before it was just this kind of wooden like a wooden tube let's say that would come out like a spout almost or uh that just kind of goes down and is angled down and then you'd hang a bucket onto that wooden piece or at least you'd get a bucket very close to where that wooden piece is it's actually tapping the tree that bucket would fill up and then you'd take the bucket over dump it into wherever you collect and then like put it big, back sometimes like a big pan and yeah, exactly. You would, you would boil you you boil the sap down. You're reducing it to something something thicker. But plastic changed this operation, made it much more efficient. You know, it's funny. It almost reminds me of those old, uh, I believe, Tropicana orange juice ads, where it was just like a straw shoved into the orange. The implication being that it's like it comes, you know, it's the freshest you can get without sucking it straight from the orange. But it's about that low tech. Even in the modern day, I mean, you're literally shoving a thing into the tree that is then pulling this, draining the sap out into some receptacle. But yeah, and Ben made a really, really great point just before we got into the the tubing and everything. Just that if you mess up and you tap the tree wrong or in the wrong place or too many times and you lose that, imagine you're losing 40 years minimum of effort 
to get that tree to where it needs to be to even be tappable. Uh, so that's why, like, that's why it is such. There's so much of an art to it, um, and a, and, a, and a science to making it work. That sweetie song is actually about tapping in. <laughs> I was gonna ask Ben, is it because it replenishes itself over time? Like, do you have to give like leave a period, you know, of kind of rest in between tapping so that the sap can be replenished, or is it a finite amount? I would imagine it's the former. Yeah, yeah, uh, you're correct. It's the it's the former. There is a finite amount of sap, but to be clear, uh, no sugar maker is uh, parasitic or, or vampiric here. They're not draining these trees dry. It's almost like, for very crude analogy, it's almost like they're giving blood. Like the yeah. process of donating blood is meant to leave the donor healthy. So, Like a really responsible vampire. Like a very, <laughs> like an ethical, like the kind of vampire that shops at the vampire equivalent of a co-op or Whole Foods. Uh, co-op. Whole Foods is no longer the best example, but but uh, part of the way they do this and keep these healthy is also by limiting the um, the amount of time per year when this when this tapping occurs. It only takes place for about four to six weeks. So think roughly a month and change during something that is called adorably the sugar season, which I think is also a good name for maybe not a band but an album and. This is still like we'll see there's a lot of limitation here and the limitations placed on this process, people would argue for the good of the tree, uh, but they're also at the whim of the weather. It's there, there's a ideal time to uh, tap this tree, tap into this tree. And most of these tap holes only give you about 10 gallons of sap throughout that period. So. For, so thinking back to um, you know the attrition that you had described, Noel, that means that we're talking four tap holes over a period of uh, around four to six weeks, making 40 gallons of sap, making one gallon of maple syrup. A ton Whoa. of work goes into this. Yeah. A ton of work and not that much yield. Right? right. And and therein lies this entire episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fascinating process. And we could spend some time, you, you know, especially um, for those of you all familiar with our old school origins, uh, how stuff works, we would totally spend an hour talking, just exploring how cool this process is. But for our purposes today, fellow conspiracy realists, it's just important to know how much work goes into each one of those little bottles. The industry today is surprisingly big. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of money in maple. It turns out uh, by 2023, this is going to be worth the maple syrup industry alone is going to be worth 1.7 billion dollars. This story may be familiar to some of us listening today because there was a Netflix documentary that came out not too long ago, a great series called Dirty Money. And in one episode in season one of Dirty Money, uh, they discuss uh, maple syrup in a way that's related to this. It turns out. Officially, because of all the time dedicated to creating this, uh, there is a premium in price. But it's also only part of the reason there's a premium of price. Anyway, right now, one of the statistics you'll hear thrown around is accurate, but it changes a little bit. Uh, Year over year, a single barrel of maple syrup would be worth around 
which makes it currently more than 20 times the price of a barrel of oil, which is right now, as we record, about 73 to 74 bucks. Uh, And that'll that'll change. But there maple syrup has been more expensive than oil for a long, long time. Yeah. And it's a really great comparison because Ben isn't joking or talking around it when he's saying a barrel of this substance. The a barrel of oil is the same as a, they're the, the same barrels, basically, um, that, that you can find maple in and and oil in. And that also is very important to this story. Yeah. Yeah. Forty two gallons. That's how much a uh, forty two U.S. gallons. That's that's the size of both of these kinds of barrels. So. This industry also gets further specialized because it's very localized. Maples don't grow everywhere. Maple syrup's not made everywhere. In fact, it's it's pretty much exclusively created in North America. The biggest U.S. manufacturer is Vermont. That stereotype is true. <laughs> Vermont is, is, is a very big uh, maple syrup industry, at least in the U.S. But that U.S. behemoth is absolutely dwarfed by Canada. That's where the real maple action goes down. The province of Quebec specifically makes in excess of 70% of the world's entire supply of maple syrup. And this is why outfits like The Economist uh, or investigative reporters like Carolyn Jarvis, who appears in Dirty Money, have called Canada the... Saudi Arabia of maple syrup. It's not just a clever title. It's pretty accurate. It's all intermeshed with the oil industry. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and most people outside of these very specific regions um, that specialize in producing this stuff um, or outside specific industries uh, that are associated don't really think about maple syrup um, until – Back in 2012, that is, when there was a story that hit the press um, where it had been discovered that someone had pulled a heist. Uh, ben, uh, you, you referred to it as an Ocean's Eleven level heist with your bag man and your inside man and all your other. I mean, it doesn't have to be a man, but, you know, in the parlance of heists. And this crew, um, if you will, were involved in stealing thousands of tons um, of the stuff. And making off with around $18.7 million Canadian, which is around $15 million USD, um, worth of maple syrup. And if you were talking about this around the water cooler, uh, it might have at the time, like it did for most people, I imagine, strike you as a little bit funny. Um, Immediately, when you hear somebody stole maple syrup. That's right. Because Yeah, what do you do with all of it? That's what what Matt and I were like back in... 2012 that was the immediate question it's like one of those heists where you know uh i try not to say this too often on air but oh i have a weird thing with dirigibles and i always joked about stealing a blimp or an airship and the big the reason that's so humorous is because the hell do you do with it where are you gonna get it yeah, where are you going to put all that maple syrup? How do you how do you explain that? How do you how do you launder maple syrup? How do you f- uh, fence maple syrup? 
It's a good question, Ben. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, how is it any different than any other valuable uh, commodity? You know, because valuable it absolutely is. As you mentioned earlier, uh, it costs upwards of or a little under two grand a barrel, uh, whereas uh, oil, I think, is only around 75, 76 bucks. So, I mean, it's absolutely sticky brown gold is what this stuff is. But, um, you know, chuckles aside, when the story came through, there really is absolutely a dark, uh, presumably somewhat sticky underbelly to the world of maple syrup because the story didn't just end up exposing these criminals who did get caught and convicted ultimately. It exposed something else, something much deeper and arguably more sinister, um, a multi-generational cartel-like operation that spanned decades. Yeah, you see, The Economist and Jarvis didn't just say that Canada was the Saudi Arabia of maple syrup. They went a little further, and they said this situation also has an OPEC. Ooh. Yeah, there's a conspiracy afoot in the land of pancakes and waffles, folks. Just like the stories of diamonds or the early days of light bulbs, turns out maple syrup is run by a cartel. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. 
As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Here's where it gets crazy. So... Uh, let's let's talk just a second about OPEC. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. OPEC is the organization of the petroleum exporting countries. You have uh, if you've depending on the kind of news you've read over the years or decades, you've probably heard uh, OPEC being brought up various times in in the West. And that's because OPEC can it makes for a very convenient boogeyman especially uh, when, when you get to oil wars and, and fossil fuel prices, because OPEC is what is known as a cartel. Usually when we hear the word cartel, we associate it with drugs, cocaine. You know what I mean? Like this is, uh, this is because we often hear the terms together. We don't hear things like banking cartel, right? And, and even though the diamond cartel is very much real, you like nine times out of 10, when you hear the word cartel described in the news, it's going to be referring to drugs. But what it actually defines is just this. Let's say that Matt, Noel, Mission Control, and I all make, I don't know, what's something fun that we make? Something specific. It's got to be really specific. Slime for kids. Okay, we make so we make like that that kind of let's say it's like a branded kind of it's a very specific kind of slime like How about you would play with like Nickelodeon yeah, okay. gack. There we go. So we make gack. We make gack and uh what we are the four largest manufacturers of gack. And we Our company other, is called Gackita. Your company is called Gackita. Uh it's not called Matt Gack. Well, anyway, I we got we got lots of room uh, to to play with this. So we are the four largest manufacturers of GAC, and we say, hey, why are we why are we fighting with each other? You know what I mean? Why 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 are we all like living living like dogs and paupers for our measly twenty five percent of a small piece of pie? We could get together. We could make the pie bigger and we could all profit off of it. And what we would do then is we'd be a group of suppliers or manufacturers and we would conspire with each other. Literally, we would say, okay, the price of GAC, no matter what, is always going to be um, <laughs> arrested development reference. It's always going to be like, what What could it cost? $10? You know, that's, that's what we'll do. Uh, we'll do it the way they did bananas. And then we would say, in addition to that, the four of us are also going to cooperate, whether through uh, transparent legal means or through unethical, illegal means, to keep all those other dirty competitors out of the game. You know, yeah. there's there's a there are a bunch of independent producers of GAC, and we are going to destroy them. So, free market, a cartel is not. Yoda would say. You know, a really great example of this uh, is in a show that I've 
been rewatching recently The Wire, um, where there is a group of rival drug dealers who are constantly at each other's throats and warring and dropping bodies in the streets. And then um, they they eventually get together, pool their resources, use their influence to get the best product and then share real estate. Um, and then they also use that to vanquish any other competition. Or if there is competition that's worth bringing into this collusion or a cartel type situation, they do that and just absorb them. But it ultimately is about limiting competition and about kind of the rising tide carrying all vessels, but also not having any outsiders. Yeah. And, and price fixing and, I, I think just one minor thing we're missing with the the GAC version that we're talking about here is that with most cartels, there's either a natural resource or a resource that is limited. There's limited access to, right? Yeah, so with, our GAC is all organic. Exactly. It's made from with, the GAC tree, which <laughs> only the, grows. <laughs> you're making but, an excellent point. Yeah. But yeah, in the in the GAC example, you would just it would be more about the things needed to create the GAC, right? Mm-hmm. So in this in Maples, the reason why it's important or like almost like I would say almost needed to have a cartel like this. And, and I know that's a little controversial. We'll, we'll get into it. But it's because there is a limited amount of the stuff in circulation at any given time. Um, and controlling that the supply becomes vital to the industry. Right, right. It, it becomes monopolistic, you know, and the world of Dune by Frank Herbert has an excellent example of this with the spice. This is not based on some sort of made up thing. Now the, the cartel in question is called the Federation of Quebec maple syrup producers, but you know, the, the real name is in French because it's Quebecois. It's usually referred to by the acronym FPAQ. Uh, The story of the organization is interesting. It dates all the way back to the 1950s. These guys have been active for a while. Uh, So over in southern Quebec, a group of, remember the name, sugar makers, uh, were having a hard time because this is is hard work. Just like farming, uh, these folks are often at the whims of the weather. They don't know what may or may not affect the trees. And, And sometimes it's like act of God level disasters. So they said, look, we can no longer be at the whims of a market. We have to be able to guarantee our survival, the survival of our kids and our businesses. So we're going to get together and we're going to Voltron up. We'll collectively market our maple syrup. This starts in 1958. The idea catches on. It leads to the formation of a larger group, ultimately, across the entirety of Quebec. And since 1989... All the, they're they're typically called producers, all the sugar makers in this FPAQ have worked together as a cartel. They've set prices and they've also done something else. They've set production quotas. That's the big problem that the U.S. historically had with OPEC. They would get mad at OPEC. And um, I had an old professor years ago who said, I was a very nice person, but they said, uh, OPEC exists to stop the flow of oil and make it expensive. And I I thought it was a little hot take because it didn't seem like a good idea as a business model, but it turns out it's a great idea as a business model in some cases. Especially if you want to enrich um, a small number of families that own all the oil in the Middle East. (laughs) Anyway, Mm. 
Yeah. Or, or, or GAC tycoons like us. Yeah. Uh, hey. Hey. So, so this is, this is, again, it's, it's similar to OPEC. It's similar to De Beers, which is the infamous diamond cartel, or it's similar to the Phoebus cartel, Mm. which is the group that, uh, back in the day purposefully made light bulbs crappier. Yeah. And also just, hey, don't sleep on the diamond, the De Beers diamond thing that we I think we just put out the classic episode on diamonds. Don't yeah, sleep on that. Right. Go hey, check it out. Lauren. Lauren's was it Lauren that, on that yeah. one? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And a qu- question. I, I, I don't know the answer, but just hypothetically speaking, a cartel isn't inherently illegal. I mean, there certainly are illegal cartels that traffic in illegal goods. But to me, the whole purpose of a cartel is to limit competition and essentially create a monopoly. So is it just kind of like a loophole that allows for a legal monopoly of some sort? And, and why aren't these challenged more often by, you know, regulators? What a great question. Yes. The answer, uh, as we'll find, verges on the philosophical points. But uh, without sounding too cynical, what I would say, and, and I welcome disagreements with this, what I would say is that the issue of legality ultimately becomes just an issue of who controls the mechanisms of the state. That's why different countries have different laws. So like if you so so like somebody may consider the activities of a cartel domestically or internationally illegal, but uh, if that cartel is powerful enough, if they have enough access, enough what you would call juice in the wire or suction in the wire. Suction. Then, yeah. Suction. Yeah. Say if suction. their industry makes a lot of money. Right. Or if their industry has already been purchased uh, through perhaps unethical means by the rulers of a country, then they get to decide what they think is legal or illegal. So that's why we have these legal cartels. And then, you know, there's a greater good argument that comes out. And sometimes it's a good faith argument. But the, the idea here is the idea of what these guys are doing. This group is legal. The government of Canada has sanctioned this. But not everybody agrees because there's very much a who watches the watchman kind yeah. of situation. Anytime you talk about a cartel, because you could ask people throughout mining operations run by De Beers uh, what they think of the cartel's activities. And um, yeah, sometimes... Being ethical and being legal are not always the same thing, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. And and again, like we we're making these comparisons because it is the best. These are the best ways to actually make these connections and talk about these things. But, you know, the mining operations and some of the horrors, there are very different from, you know, sugar makers tapping trees. Right. But and and there's also I mean, that's the thing. We we love the complexity of a topic like this because. It's it's not apples to apples or maples to maples. There it is. In, in, in every one of these. Um, and I, I get, I'm only saying this to point out that a lot of sugar makers, and from what I've seen in the stats and in some of the stuff that was shown in that Dirty Money episode, the producers and the sugar makers, the vast majority of them are down with this cartel. Mm-hmm. Because it helps them individually uh, make sure that they're able to sell their product at a good enough price to to get loans, right? And to be able to make enough enough profit 
off of something that could be not profitable. Yeah, it's not like these. It's not like these folks who are uh, in this in this industry, whether they are opposed to the cartel or whether they support it. It's not like they're billionaires. You know what I mean? They're they're like anybody else with a job trying to get by. And in you know in the OPEC example, it's interesting is. If you were a member of OPEC, you would see clear advantages, especially when you were cognizant of the way that colonial powers absolutely exploited any place with oil for as long as they could. You know what I mean? So it, it is seen as um, a protective defensive move, which is mm -hmm. why it is called protectionism. <laughs> so this, like, like to, to that point right now, this organization is legal. And it's a fantastic question. We'll get into the philosophy of the, of the problem later. But from the perspective of the folks, the, the many members and supporters of what is sometimes just called the Federation for shorthand, uh, this group is taking necessary actions to ensure that all important price stability. Because otherwise, if you're just out there independently, what if what if the weather doesn't work out? What if something terrible happens to uh, the trees in your sugar brush? Which is what the collection, or copes of trees being tapped, is called. See, because they're all like sh words with sugar in them, so we can't just list them all. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, and Ben, and also, what if, what if you produce too much, right? What if you've got too much stuff and you don't have a buyer for all of this syrup you've produced, right? Yeah, syrup surplus could be as bad as a syrup shortage. Uh, this this leads to that, that quota system because the Federation doesn't just dictate the price at which uh, syrup has to be sold in Quebec. They also dictate how much you, as a sugar maker, can make each sugaring season. So, like, if we did that with our GAC cartel, uh, then we would be telling, you know, uh, like, let's say we all agreed that we were going to sell, we were all only going to sell 10 million units. tons of GAC units. There we go. That's a little better. Yeah. Uh, 10 million units each of GAC. And then... Uh, let's see, Mission Control has a bumper year. His GAC trees are doing awesome. And he's like, I've made 20 million units of GAC. And then we say, well, sorry, bro, that's over your quota. Uh, so you cannot sell it. As a matter of fact, you have to give it to us. That's what happens in the maple syrup situation. If you have a great year, no matter who you are, if you have a great year and you harvest more than the allowed quota, you cannot sell that excess syrup the way you would want to because it might end up driving down that price and creating a surplus. Instead, you have to ship it to, I sh you not, something called the Global Strategic Reserve of Maple Syrup. Yet again, the oil comparison holds. You know what I mean? The U.S. has a global reserve of oil or strategic reserve. Yeah. Now, forgive me if I'm incorrect here. My understanding is that it's not them just handing it over like for free. They would they would get payment for not as not donating, but essentially giving their syrup to the preserve. Yes. Yeah. And the, the key issue there is the timing. So 
let's look at the other case. So if there's a low production year, the Federation taps, get it, uh, that reserve, and they release a controlled amount of syrup into like out into the world. Into circulation, let's call it, right? Yes, they circulate the syrup. And some people love this setup because, again, like like Matt was saying earlier, this makes it much, much easier to predict how future years will play out, which is huge. It's hugely important. But other people had a problem with this, other maple syrup producers, uh, not just like outside observers with some uh, economic policy axe to grind. There are people who say, I've been making maple syrup my whole life. This uh, maple syrup operation has been our family for generations. Uh, We want to take a cue from Fleetwood Mac and go our own way. Uh, The Federation wasn't really cool with this in 2000, uh, in the early 2000s. You'll hear it called 2000 or 2004, but in the early 2000s, they did this thing where they created an exclusive selling agency, meaning that no matter uh, who you were, if you're in Quebec and you're you're in the syrup game, you you can't sell like directly to a supermarket. You know what I mean? You can't make a deal with like a, a restaurant chain to just carry your uh, your syrup. You have to sell it to the federation at that agreed upon price, and then they will basically run the the rest of the sales from there. So if you didn't like this and you wanted to sell things yourself, you ended up putting syrup on an actual black market. Wow. So this is to say that any syrup in the syrup aisle at your local, you know, grocery store chain, whether it's the like twelve ninety nine a bottle, seemingly small batch family operation kind of situation, or whether it's your, you know, whatever the like, I don't even know what the uh, the, the most mainstream syrup du jour is today. They're all going through this system. Otherwise, mm. no. 70, well, 70% right now, if you, if you're walking in a grocery store or any store selling maple syrup, almost anywhere in the world, in excess of 70% of it is coming, not just from Canada, but from this place, which means unless you're in like a syrup black market or unless there's yeah. like a black market supermarket. So obviously, some some syrup comes from the United States. Obviously, I mean, like that. So that's that's the issue here. I see. Well, and a lot of syrup you will find for sale wherever you live is going to be corn syrup that's got some color in it and may have some maple flavoring and or maple syrup involved, but it's mostly corn. But it can't say pure. No, no, it can't say pure. And there is a premium on organic maple syrup, but largely, like these. This organization has the heft to uh, swing around and to get its way. This is where stuff started clamping down. And for people who are big free market proponents, this is where it becomes a little bit of a horror story because all producers in the area, all sugar makers in the area are required to sell their product directly to this organization whether or not they want to. So it's not it's not quite the same thing as like a union. You can't opt in, right? Uh, there is there is one exception, which is you can sell small amounts of your syrup directly from your farm, which are called, I love this, sugar shacks. Q the B-52s. Uh, the, you can so you can sell your own stuff 
to people who like happen by, right? And you can also, if you want, you can sell to supermarkets as long as you give the federation their cut, which is 12% off the top. It's not as big of a cut as, say, Google takes off YouTube, but still 12% makes a big difference in people's lives. As a matter of fact, you know, let's let's talk a little bit uh, more about the money in this relationship because that's where that's where the problems with cartels usually come into play, and that's usually where you see like the, if not conspiracy and corruption, that's where you're going to see the conflict. Yes, estimates. Right now, our best estimate is that the federation, the cartel, takes the equivalent of eleven cents U.S. off of every pound of syrup produced. So uh, let's just do the math here. One gallon of syrup contains 11 pounds. So $1.21 US per gallon of syrup, basically. Uh, and interestingly, and I guess kind of rationally, that money that the Federation takes off, uh, according to them, goes to the promotion of maple, maple syrup as a thing. It is like, right, we're promoting the industry itself by having this this group over uh, like deployed on top of it and uh, also in research how can we tap these trees better and how can we store this maple for longer mhm and what scientifically proven advantages does maple syrup have over say something something other some other sweet substance that people might buy in a store like honey. So this makes sense. And if you are a sugar maker, you also pay an administrative fee to this organization. But again, the people who are running this organization, staffing it, working for it, they're, they're going to say, look, we're making ends meet, but please stop calling us, stop calling us like tycoons and stuff, because we're just, we're trying to do what's best for everybody. The thing is, again, for their involvement, whether consensual or non-consensual, these producers are paid in installments. So like going back to our surplus year example, you send in, you've exceeded your quota. How dare you be good at what you do? Right? How dare you be, uh, you know, extraordinary what you're doing? Then you will be paid for the syrup that has to be shipped off to the strategic reserve, but you're paid on kind of a layaway plan. And this has led some unhappy syrup makers to say that they've they've said they're waiting like months or in some cases years for these payments to come in. And if you are paying other bills or costs associated with keeping the lights on, et cetera, et cetera, then you can't really go to your utility company and say, I'm waiting on my syrup money. I'll get to you next year. Fingers crossed. Knock on Maplewood. Well, yeah, and you can totally see why the black market feels like it may be a viable option for that individual, like you said, who needs to make payments to other people while they're waiting on the other one. But there certainly are, you know, critics of this system from the, on the producer side. And one particularly vocal producer who is fighting against FPAC, uh, FPAQ, um, is Angel Grenier, um, who was kind of tired of the whole setup. She was sick of the cartel pushing her around and decided to take on a direct sales model where she sold her syrup right to a distributor, bypassing the FPAQ entirely. 
and the police got involved. All of her stock that she had warehoused was seized, and she was slapped with a crippling $500,000 fine. Um, Very much seems like they were trying to make an example of her. So this is where we start to really see problems brewing. And Ben, I believe this is one of the primary interviewees on that Dirty Money episode. Yeah. Uh, this this person who's very outspoken and kind of leading a, a fight against the cartel. It's it's a fascinating story. Recommend you check out that episode if you can, just to to get the background on it. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna continue on here because that was just the beginning of <laughs> the issues at hand here. Yes, trouble was on the horizon. We'll pause for a word from our sponsor, and we'll return uh, with more, unless, of course, Big Maple gets us. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then... You found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. 
We've returned. Yeah. So Grenier is often quoted. Uh, she's you'll you'll find her mentioned and her story mentioned in multiple local, regional, and international articles about this situation. Uh, she has been. Her case went all the way to the Canadian Supreme Court, by the way, just to give you a sense of how how important this was. And all of this, this, uh, <laughs> this boiling mass of cultural sap, this is the context in which the maple syrup heist occurs. And from a cinematic perspective... It's pretty impressive. So the the reserve, calling it a singular thing might be a little misleading to people because it's located in a series of three warehouses in rural Quebec. And over the course of 2011 and 2012, uh, this group of conspirators stole thousands and thousands of tons of maple syrup. And it was a slow motion operation. You know, uh, they the Federation themselves only found out about this when they had that, that's another moment from the heist review, like the heist story, which is just a neat montage of tropes, basically. Uh, the There's always the moment in the heist where there's the big reveal. You know, someone opens the safe and it's gone. It turns out that the cops were also working with the robbers. Uh, and then, you know, the main, like the bad guy, whomever in this case, um, the Federation doesn't see themselves as the bad guy, but, you know, like the... Heist crew probably saw them as the bad guy. Uh, there's this moment, if you could picture Ocean's Eleven, Quebec, where someone from the Federation opens one of these syrup barrels and says, holy, oh, no, that's that's water. That's not syrup. How much did they get us for? And they found out that this was easily like a quarter of the syrup strategic reserve, which means it's easily a quarter of the, the world's saved-up supply. And... Yeah, the police were involved. This was a huge crime. In just a few days in December of 2012, Canadian police ended up arresting like 17 different people who had some connection with the plot. And that was on the orders of this cartel, which continues today. And again, we can't emphasize this enough. We're not we're not calling them villains. It does have ardent supporters, and it does have diehard opponents. And we have to remember, as silly as a headline might sound, these are real people. This maple syrup stuff is not their hobby. They get up every day and think about it because it's their livelihood. And Grenier is a famous example, but there are other sugar makers who have been slapped with fines, huge fines. They've also had their syrup, the stuff they made, seized by this organization for going outside of its its rules. And that's why you'll hear people like Grenier say, the Federation says they own my trees. They make they treat it like it's their property. Uh, read a really interesting article by a reporter named Ross Marowitz, who said that the cartel may accidentally, to a degree, be working against its own interest because their rules may be strengthening competition from other provinces in Canada and non-Canadian competition in the U.S. Well, I think Ross actually has a, you know, a pretty compelling case there because if you can get, look, if the reason why I bought this particular maple syrup 
was because it was like five or six dollars less than the other ones. Not the not the fully like single barreled ones you were mentioning there, Noel. But you know the one hundred percent maple syrups that existed where I went to buy syrup, and it's still one hundred percent maple syrup, but it's significantly less expensive. And if you if you've got competitors out there that are that are able to have stuff on the market that is not at the prices you're fixing that that are lower than those prices, then you could be in very big trouble, especially if you get them to big you know distributors like uh, I don't know here in Atlanta like a Kroger or a Walmart or a Whole Foods or something like that, yeah, the Canadian supply and the cartel itself could be in trouble. I gotta imagine too. Like, I mean, there's this thing called, oh gosh, it's called, not the a, not AOC. That's that's the uh, the lawmaker. But there's an organization in France that regulates like what products can be given what names. Like, for example, true French champagne can only be called champagne if it comes from the Champagne region of France. Um, does this cartel also um, govern kind of purity claims? Like, if you're calling something 100% pure maple syrup or even just pure maple syrup, like in terms of how, to use the wire terms, how much it can be stepped on, you know, because I imagine that some maple syrup uh, is diluted in some way uh, so that you can make your yield go further. I, I don't have specifics on that. Uh, I would just say that in something like this product that I have here, the only ingredient is maple syrup. So I've seen others that are like 75% pure maple syrup and then extra stuff, something like that. Um, but I, I don't know the naming conventions and how they're applied. Yeah, because it, it may be sold not directly to the end consumer, but it might be sold to a company that then makes something that's uh, a blend somehow of, of the syrup. So it's it's interesting because they're trying to they're trying it's phrased in a very optimistic way by the Federation. They're like, we want to take play. We want to participate in this expanding market. But it's um, it's not inaccurate because the production in Quebec has increased, you know, year over year for a decade. It increased 30 percent from 2007 and 2017. But it's also understandable how if you're making maple syrup in Quebec, you might feel these rules, however well-intentioned, hurt you more than they help you. Because imagine you're seeing some, you know, uh, some guy who's like a weird equivalent of reverse carpet bagging out from Vermont crosses over the border and the same rules don't apply to them. They can sell the Vermont syrup all the live long day. And so these other, these Quebecois sugar makers, the ones who were opposed to the Federation, which again, um, the research that we saw seems to indicate they're in the minority. But the these folks feel that they may have traded one disadvantage for another. You know, they're saying, look, is hedging against unpredictable weather, is it worth knowing that I have to wait for months or years to get paid? Is it worth knowing that I can't do what I want with the trees that I or my family have spent 40 years minimum growing uh, supporters of the and the staff of the Federation, people like Simon Treponier, the executive director, they disagree with being characterized as some shady behemoth. You know, again, they're, they're not 
they wouldn't say they're like tycoons, certainly not uh, oil country level wealthy. They claim that their first and foremost concern is to represent people who actually make maple syrup. But here we get to the end, because uh, if you are outside of the industry and you are thinking about this, it may represent a much older conundrum, which is the philosophical conflict between a controlled market and a free market. And this is a very... This conversation is cyclical in the mainstream. It comes up pretty often, you know, uh, and sometimes it's phrased in very, very simplistic terms, like someone's quoting Ayn Rand at you or whatever. But the, the real question here is what what would be the benefit? If there's a, a syrup-free market, if there's an unfettered syrup-free-for-all, which is a weird image out of context. Would that would that be better for these individuals, or would it instead lead back to like crazy fluctuations and result in you know the surplus as you described, Matt, or people having to find like close down their family sugar shacks? It, what would happen? Who knows? And there's uncertainty in there, right? And that's kind of maybe the whole point. I really want to look at who does this benefit the most by following the money. So. The Federation itself, we talked about, they get 11 cents per pound of maple syrup produced. So the Federation gets that benefit. Um, They also get benefit when they expand. So if they add more producers, they they continue to make that 11 cents per pound, right? So in 2017, the Federation made a move. They said they're going to add 5 million new taps. So that's like taps, not necessarily an individual tree, but individual taps in trees to its existing 43 million taps. And the goal there is to really just more fully participate in that larger market that we talked about. Um, And what they really want to see is an increased production overall by 30%. of So for, you know, until 2027 or whatever, if if they can, they want to do that. Right. And, what I what my understanding is controlling these prices, guaranteeing that a sugar maker is going to make this money. The biggest benefit is that the bank knows that if you are producing maple, they will back you up with with money for loans to either continue your business or expand your business because they are guaranteed to get paid back at least some amount because you are guaranteed to be making money by this cartel. And, and if, if the banks, if the banks and the cartel are like, yeah, we're all good here, we can expand. We'll give you money to expand. The cartel's making money on the top. The bank is lending out tons of money. That's making tons of interest on all these loans. Everybody's like doing great. And the sugar makers are making, you know, whatever the prices are that the cartel says they're going to be. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, it feels like the banks are actually winning in this. <laughs> I mean, the banks are usually winning in a lot of in a lot of things, unfortunately. But but they're designed to, right? So that's that's a very great point about controlled market. You know, does does this collective action you could call it to control the Quebec's spice? Does it ultimately make it easier for people to succeed? 
or is it really hurting more people than it helps or who is it really helping to your to your question that's that's something again that we're not making a call on but a lot of people are a lot of people are trying to answer that question and for others and for me as well you know one thing that really stuck out was the concept of consent consent informed consent is is a huge Hugely important thing in every aspect of your life, professional and personal, and it's a key factor. So would the Federation, I would ask, would they get less criticism if they didn't mandate or force people to participate? So again, while these questions, the the tricky thing with these questions is that they all verge into prognostication and philosophy. You can't really predict the future unless you're unless DARPA is a little further ahead than I think. And as a result, right now, these questions are not easy to answer. It does go to show that just like in the case of the great cheese spiracy, though, even the most innocuous seeming things can have a conspiracy behind them. And so with this, we want to ask you folks, first off, waffles or pancakes. We're, we're, I'm not letting it go. I, I, I got to tell you, I... I respect your decision if you're a pancake person. More pancakes for you. But while you're thinking about that, ask yourself, should maple producers be required to join this federation? Is it helping or hurting them overall? Uh, Would this heist still have occurred if the federation didn't exist? I mean, let us know and let us know if you'd like to hear more stories about food conspiracies. Though be warned, friends. Some of these stories are much, much darker than this one. Cough, cough, palm oil, cough, cough, chocolate, cough, cough. Is that a subtle enough hint, you guys? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's that works. And don't <laughs> okay. even don't even look into the GAC industry. That oh God, it's bad. <laughs> oh no. We can't we've <laughs> this entire time we've been doing a podcast for fun, but we're really we're GACMEN at the end of the day. <laughs> GACMEN? GACMEN, yeah. Jackman, uh, how how can uh, how can people find us? How can they tell us these things? They just shout out into the void, into the sky. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, what is your what cartel are you associated with? <laughs> tell us about it. Blow the old whistle. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, where we are conspiracy stuff. On Instagram, we are conspiracy stuff show. Oh, and I forgot to to point out uh, the trees do not get paid. Uh, but, oh. but if you're, if, if there's something, uh, if there's something you do want to take away from this with the idea of tree rights here in nearby Athens, Georgia, there is a tree that owns itself. Wow. That's it. That's what, that, that's, you can find that online too. Uh, you know what? The tree, these maples get paid in love. Cause as we said, <laughs> those sugar, those, the, the sugar makers, they got to take care of them trees. Worth it? I don't know. Where is love worth it? I don't know. Oh God, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> love always finds a way. And you can find uh, you can find a way to contact us that doesn't depend on the internet. Should you like to give us a call, we have a phone number just for you and our fellow conspiracy realist. It is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. You'll hear a message. Uh, you'll have three minutes. They belong to you. Let us know what's on your mind. Give yourself a sick nickname. A bonus arbitrary points for the nickname. In fact, and. Uh, most importantly, let us know if we can use your voice and or message on air. 
Equally, most importantly, don't feel like you need to edit yourself. If your story needs more than three minutes, if you have links you want to send, if you have additional information, go ahead and write to us directly. We read every single email we get. All you have to do is shoot us a line online where we are. Look, I know, I know this is the part where we're going to tell you the email address. We always do it every, every episode. We're going to tell you the email address, but before that, we're recording this on September 10th, 2021, and the Matrix Resurrections trailer just came out. And I know you're excited. I'm excited. You said you weren't going to watch it. Oh, no, I'm going to watch every bit of it seven times in the theater. I don't care if I've got to wear a full Bubble Boy outfit. I'm watching that in the theater. The, the trailer? You're going to watch the trailer that many times? No. <laughs> the movie. The movie itself. It's happening. By the way, our email address is conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At- 